Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is in chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 3 through 14, which you can find on page 187 in the New Testament of your pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gain I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable, O Lord. Help us to hear your word and to rely upon it. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. my eight and nine-year-old grandsons what it is that the boys at school brag about. What do they like to be good at? Running and climbing the monkey bars. Manning runs the fastest, but I'm the best at monkey bars. Kickball. 
The team I was on today had three grand slams. It was awesome. All through our lives, we're stacking up points, aren't we? We're stacking ourselves up against how other people are, how other parents are, the successes we've had, the failures we've had, but we're always comparing and evaluating. We judge ourselves and other people by athletic ability, education, accomplishments, or family connections. But we want to be careful on a job application or resume to portray ourselves in the best possible light. So we need proofreaders to catch our mistakes, like some of the following. There was a whole page of them on the internet. It was great fun. But these are, this is a sample of resume errors. I worked as a corporate lesion. <laughs> Objective to have my skills and ethics challenged on a daily basis. Work experience. Dealing with customer conflicts that arouse. <laughs> Typing, 756 words per minute. Be awesome. Paul comes from a tradition in where you sort of stack up points in order to get right with God. And he has an impressive resume. If we changed Paul's resume to make it more modern from what we just read in Philippians 3, it might read something like this. Paul Tarsus, born in Richmond, Virginia, from one of the oldest Virginia families. Harvard Law, graduated magnum cum laude, clerked for a Supreme Court justice, federal prosecutor, lecturer on church and state relationships, lay theologian, Active elder at First Presbyterian Church, Bible teacher for 15 years. Published articles, seven marks of the true Christian. Biblical illiteracy and flabby theology, the church in America. Muscle up, build virtue. Sin is more than rage and lust. Civic involvement on the board of the United Way, chair of the Children's Fund, board of trustees, First Presbyterian Church. According to the standards of the world, what Paul calls the flesh, Paul is a success. His education is outstanding, his family, good repute, his virtue is stellar. He desires and is a good person by any standard. And we understand worldly values. We want our children to make good grades. We want them to enter the right school, whether it's preschool or college. We want the respect, comfort, wealth, and power that the world can be, bring. We want to be good people, people of faith. 
There's nothing wrong with achievement, heavens no. Where would medicine or the arts or government be without people who did their best, who accomplished something in the world? We'd be in a mess. Paul is proud of his education and his accomplishments. In fact, he uses his resume to defend himself against his critics. His critics are saying, you're not doing enough. You're you're allowing just anybody into the church. People ought to have to meet a certain standard to be Christ's body. You really have got to up your game. And he's saying, look, I've done that. I've done all of it. I've met all the religious rules and requirements. And you know, all my worldly accomplishments don't amount to a hill of beans. Actually, he uses a word that in the Greek is more similar to dung. It's all a bunch of dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. The very credentials that you are waving around as special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Paul realized that all his attempts to be a good person, as wonderful as they were, were nothing compared to having Christ as part of his life, from going outer righteousness to inner relationship with the love of God. During high school in Charlotte, forced busing was ordered to achieve racial integration in the public schools. Private academies sprung up everywhere. The Concerned Parents Council, made up of white parents, pushed back, seeking an intervention from city council and the courts. I heard my parents talking about one of the elders of our church who followed a black family home who had visited our church and told them he'd shoot them if they came back. A series of personal and public events make me feel keenly the hypocrisy of the church. Here were the leaders who had taught me all about God's love what it means and how a Christian should act. I was angry with the church and with God and ready to give up on this bunch of people. After college, I went to Atlanta to get a job. I'd like to say that 
getting a job as an English major was not really um, easy at that point. And one morning, I don't know, I guess feeling a nudge, I went to church by myself. And during worship, there was a little girl who was baptized and the pastor took the baby and just walked and talked all up and down the center aisle. There was no music or singing and he just kept saying, this little child didn't do anything to earn God's love. God just loves her. God wants her to be part of his family. God has claimed her. In that moment, I felt claimed by Christ in a way that I never had before. And my life changed. Now when I look in the mirror, I can see a hypocrite, one who fails to love as Christ teaches. I've learned that we're all saints and sinners, but we're all brought here by the love of God for us who loves us no matter what. All along the way, I've heard stories from you and from others about how Jesus has laid hold of us and changed our lives. A former janitor of the church told me about the time when he was running from the police. He had drugs in his pockets. His buddies went one way and he went another. He managed to shake them off and ended up hiding in his sister's backyard. And he prayed, Oh Lord, take this craving from me. Break the hold of the drugs on me. And he woke up the next morning, cramped and cold on the ground, wet from the dew, and he knew it was gone. Per the Presbyterian missionary Sue Macon, she was the only OBGYN for 100,000 women in Malawi, a desperately poor country. Each morning she got up and she and her whole staff gathered in the courtyard and they sang and prayed and she said nothing was better was the only thing she had ever wanted to do. A self-made millionaire by age 29, Millard Fullard, found his life strangely empty and his marriage threatened by his all-consuming work. A sermon struck home. He gave up his wealth to provide simple housing to low-income families, beginning in Zaire and then here in the States. He was the founder of Habitat for Humanity. A former atheist I was just reading about, Dr. Alistair McGrath, has a doctor of philosophy in molecular biophysics 
such a lightweight, I'm sure. His life changed when Jesus got hold of him. At first, it was all about learning what Jesus taught and did, studying the Bible, and he became obsessed with theological correctness, much like Paul's contemporaries were. Then he began reading medieval and Reformation Christian writers and found that they kept talking about an openness to God, enkindling the emotions and enlightening the mind. They wrote of meditating upon Scripture, of letting it soak into you like rain on a parched earth. McGrath has come to know the living presence of Christ in his life. Perhaps you know John Meeser. He's an elder at Second Presbyterian Church. He's worked all his life in public policy. And he said he's the closest to Jesus when he's working to improve the life of the poor here in Richmond. Once Jesus laid hold of him, Paul found that all that he thought had mattered, all of his good and fine accomplishments did not compare to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, of having Christ's spirit in him, guiding and directing him. May that joy be for all of us this day. Amen.